Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 35, recorded here on October 9th, 2022. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice, so please, as I always ask, do your own homework. Okay, uh, moving forward here. Uh, We'll start out with the market update. Stocks plunged Friday after the latest government data showed a hot U.S. labor market that likely ends any doubt that the Federal Reserve will maintain its aggressive policy of raising interest rates. Non-farm payrolls increased 263,000 in September after a 315,000 gain in August. And the unemployment rate unexpectedly dropped to 3.5%, matching a 50-year low. Among individual stocks on Friday, Credit Suisse soared 13% after launching a surprise $3 billion bond buyback, but Advanced Micro Devices plunged 14%, its biggest daily loss in two and a half years after preliminary third quarter sales missed projections by more than $1 billion. Friday's market losses trimmed the gains for what started out as a big comeback week for stocks, with the Dow Jones rising 2% for the week, the S&P advancing 1.5%, and the NASDAQ adding 0.7%. Looking ahead to next week, the Q3 earnings season comes charging in, with companies like Citigroup, Delta Airlines, Domino's Pizza, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Morgan Stanley, PepsiCo, United Health, and Walgreens Boots Alliance all set to report. The economic calendar is also busy with updates on the NFIB Small Business Index, initial and continuing jobless claims, retail sales data, and consumer sentiment, although the primary focus will be on hot reads on inflation, with the producer prices report and consumer prices report due in. The September PPI report on October 12th is expected to show a 0.1% month-to-month drop. After stripping out food and energy costs, PPI is forecast to rise 0.3% from August and 7.3% compared to a year ago. Bank of America forecasts a below-consensus flat PPI reading following two consecutive monthly declines, which could tamp down some inflation fears. However, any optimism will be tested when CPI comes in on the next day. B of A forecasts a decline in the year-over-year inflation to 8.1% from 8.3% in August, while a modest acceleration in monthly headline CPIs are anticipated to reflect a slower decline in energy prices, down 3.5% month-over-month, continued elevated food inflation, up 0.7%, and strong core inflation, up 0.4%. The firm thinks core goods inflation will advance by 0.2%, and core services will rise by 0.5%, while rent prices have moderated. That is not expected to impact the CPI print this month. So a lot going on in the markets, and uh, I guess we'll see how the markets react to all that next week. Moving on to Bitcoin news, uh, the first article we have here is from Bitcoin.com. This was uh, posted today. Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele takes aim at Bitcoin detractors, says the ones who are afraid are the world's powerful elites. According to Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele, if the Bitcoin experiment 
his country is participating in succeeds, a great number of other countries worldwide will follow in the Latin American countries' footsteps. Bukele said this in a recently penned opinion editorial called, quote, Stop Drinking the Elite's Kool-Aid, which was published on September 30th, 2022, in English and Spanish. In the editorial, Bukele criticized three camps of detractors, and he believes that most of them are simply afraid of El Salvador's innovative decisions. The most vocal detractors, the ones who are afraid and pressuring us to reverse our decision, are the world's powerful elites and the people who work for or benefit from them, Bukele explained in his article. They used to own everything, and in a way, they still do. The media, the banks, the non-government organizations, international organizations, and almost all the governments and corporations in the world. Bukele also denies the many headlines published by media outlets such as Bloomberg, Forbes, Fortune, Financial Times, Deutsche Well, BBC, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, The New York Times, and The Washington Post that claim the whole country's economy was destroyed by a $50 million loss. The Salvadoran president said the claims were baloney and mostly because the country has not sold a single Bitcoin since it started acquiring a stash of Bitcoin. So the argument that we have lost $50 million worth of Bitcoin is false because we simply have not sold any Bitcoin, Bukele's editorial insists. And even if we were to accept that argument as true, then it would be ridiculous to conclude that an economy of $28 billion per year will go bankrupt or into default because of a 0.2% loss in one year, when in 2021 our economy grew 10.3% or by $4 billion. This is using the IMF's own numbers. Bukele's opinion piece further adds, in 2021, our GDP rose 10.3%, income from tourism rose 52%, employment went up 7%, new businesses up 12%, exports up 17%, energy generation up 19%, energy exports went up 3,291%, and internal revenue went up 37%, all without raising any taxes. And this year, the crime and murder rate have gone down 95%. The Salvadoran bureaucrat details that that he understands that Bitcoin is a very large experiment and he believes it's absurd to claim that the country has already failed. His recent statements are similar to Bitcoin's inventor when Satoshi said, I'm sure that in 20 years there will either be a very large transaction volume or no volume. Similarly, El Salvador has joined the grand experiment and time will tell if the Latin American country's bet succeeds or fails. If it does succeed, Bukele's editorial asserts that many countries will follow El Salvador's lead. El Salvador is the epicenter of Bitcoin adoption and thus economic freedom, financial sovereignty, censorship resistance, unconfiscatable wealth, and the end of the kingmakers. They're printing, devaluing, and reassigning the wealth of the majorities to interest groups, the elites, the oligarchs, and the ones in the shadows behind them pulling their strings. Bukele's article concludes... If El Salvador succeeds, many countries will follow. If El Salvador somehow fails, which we refuse to, no countries will follow. So very interesting piece from Najib, I think is how he pronounces it. Uh, A lot of people discount what he says because they say, well, he's just a Latin American dictator. and What does he know? But uh, I think the the proof is is in the pudding and that uh, his economy is doing quite well. There's a lot of tourism, a lot of interest in in the Bitcoin uh, space and people going to visit and also people starting businesses there uh, since they did make Bitcoin a legal tender in uh, El Salvador. So 
Um, it's certainly too early to declare it a failure. Um, and uh, I think in, you know, it's very, very early days. And um, it's good to see and hopefully <clears throat> um, they are successful and there will be other countries that uh, follow suit um, and are able to leverage Bitcoin to um, improve their their finances and their their society and 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 all that uh next uh also from bitcoin.com this was also posted today new paypal policy lets firm fine users twenty five hundred dollars for spreading misinformation terms of service condemned and called an abomination now it's funny because this came out and then uh, they had to sort of hastily retract that and say it was a mistake uh, uh, in their Twitter, um, due to the blowback, but there's still just a lot of people that are really upset. So anyway, we'll get into it. Um, a new PayPal user policy that permits the company to fine users $2,500 for spreading misinformation has caused quite a stir on social media platforms after November 3rd. Anyone who posts or publishes information or content to quote, promote misinformation will be subject to the penalty. Uh, and then there's an editor's note here. This article was updated to reflect that PayPal has retracted the user policy information after the social media backlash. The company said an AUP notice recently went out in error that included incorrect information. The last paragraph in this article contains the full statement from PayPal concerning user policy. Uh, so the Payment Services Corporation PayPal reportedly plans to update its user agreement with a new clause added that fights against so-called, quote, misinformation. A new update added to the restricted activity section of PayPal's user agreement shows that people who post or publish hate speech or misinformation may subject you to damages, including liquidated damages of $2,500 U.S. per violation, which may be debited directly from your PayPal account. The Daily Wire first discovered the upcoming Terms of Service Agreement. The prohibited acts include the sending, posting, or publication of any messages, content, or materials that promote misinformation. The payments company warns. Of course, the news wasn't taken too kindly by the general public, and a significant number of social media posts criticized PayPal's decision to implement the new user agreement. Canadian lawyer David Anber wrote, Hey PayPal, you have 30 days to explicitly renounce this abomination of a policy or I'm permanently closing my account as will millions of others, I'm sure. Your subjective views on misinformation or discrimination don't entitle you to your client's money. Moreover, the PayPal news caught the attention of Tesla executive Elon Musk when an individual wrote that the new terms of service news was worrying and that that's why we need the X platform more than ever. Musk responded 100%. Bitcoin supporters, of course, took to their Twitter handles and exclaimed that Bitcoin fixes this. A great number of people on social media begged others to close their PayPal accounts and boycott the payment services company. PayPal's new policy let, lets it pull $2,500 from user accounts for promoting misinformation. The Biden administration made easier for the government to spy on Americans. The FBI is acting like the KGB, Pedro Gonzalez wrote on Saturday. Venmo is owned by PayPal, which is owned by eBay. Pull away from all three ASAP. Another person tweeted, a number of individuals asked how PayPal decides what information is misinformation or not. And many, and people, many said current times are akin to a communist regime. One person wrote, 
And who decides what misinformation is? Why PayPal, of course. I'm sure they'll be fair. Twitter will restrict your account if they don't like what you post. PayPal has authorized itself to assess monetary fines for bad behavior. Welcome to the Soviet Union. And along those lines, actually, Twitter just, uh, I think, blocked uh, a, a tweet that uh, was sent by the uh, uh, head of the state of Florida's health department. Uh, because it was misleading um, as it related to COVID. And then I guess they had to reverse themselves and un, un, unblock it. But uh, certainly centralized platforms are a great opportunity for censorship of all sorts. PayPal has been accused of censorship for a long time now and picking and choosing sides based on the firm's own subjective valuations and, of course, state orders. At the end of last July last year, PayPal revealed it partnered with the nonprofit organization, the Anti-Defamation League, and said it planned to study financial transactions that funded extremism and anti-government groups. In 2010, PayPal and a number of other financial giants blocked WikiLeaks from getting donations, and it pushed Julian Assange and the nonprofit toward Bitcoin. In 2019, PayPal shut off ties to sex workers, leveraging the adult web portal Pornhub. And at the time, 100,000 adult performers were left stranded. In 2020, PayPal merchants who sold products associated with the eight-legged micro-animals called tardigrades or moss piglets had issues with the payment processor because the name tardigrade was used by a Balkan arms dealer. According to Eric July, owner of Ripiverse Comics. Two months ago, PayPal gave him significant issues when he sold Ripiverse Comics using PayPal and credit cards. At the time, 1.2 million was put on hold by PayPal and on October 6, July, said that after making an erroneous error of only paying him back half the funds, the other half was released and there was no official statement from PayPal as to why. After a huge hassle, July got back all of the initially held funds and he further stressed that his firm would never be using PayPal again. The Riververse Comics owner added, it's a piece of shit company, and I recommend that small business owners especially avoid using them. On October 8th, the PayPal spokesman explained to the National Review that the user policy notice shared wildly on Twitter and publications was a mistake. An AUP notice recently went out an error that included incorrect information. The PayPal spokesperson insisted PayPal is not finding people for misinformation, and this language was never intended to be inserted in our policy. Our teams are working to correct the pol our policy pages. We're sorry for the confusion this has caused. Oops. Uh, my guess is if nobody picked up on that, it would have just stayed there. And uh, good luck if you uh, if you came uh, uh, in conflict with that. So uh, bravo for the internet for bringing that up and. We certainly need to be uh, mindful of uh, these types of things in the future. Okay, uh, moving on. It's also from Bitcoin.com, also posted today. Robert Kiyosaki explains why he buys Bitcoin, citing pension funds and inflation. The author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, shared why he buys Bitcoin in a couple of tweets Friday. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a 1997 book co-authored by Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter has been on the New York Times bestseller list for over six years. It's actually the first personal finance book I ever read, and uh, it's great. I actually had all my kids read it and gave them a, a reward for uh, giving me a book report on it because I really wanted them to learn about personal finances at a young age. 
So more than 32 million copies of the book have been sold in over 51 languages across more than 109 countries. In one tweet, the Rich Dad Poor Dad author detailed that he buys Bitcoin because pension funds are buying the cryptocurrency. He referenced an article published by Forbes titled, Your State Pension is Now Gambling on Cryptocurrency, which features a survey showing that 94% of America's state and local government pensions are investing in cryptocurrencies. Tweeting the article to his 1.2 million followers, Kiyosaki wrote, Why I Buy Bitcoin? Pension funds are the biggest investment businesses in the world. The survey is part of the latest investor trust study published in April by the CFA Institute, the Global Association of Investment Professionals. The study showed that institutional investors have become bigger users of cryptocurrencies, with two-thirds saying they are currently invested in these products. In addition, government-sponsored pension plans are the most likely to be invested in crypto assets. In another tweet, Kiyosaki elaborated on why he has recommended buying gold, silver, and Bitcoin. The famous author explained, that when pensions nearly collapsed, it exposed central banks cannot fix inflation. He noted that pensions have always invested in gold and silver, and now they're investing in Bitcoin. And his tweet actually says, why buy gold, silver, and Bitcoin? Bank of England pivot means more GSBC. When pensions nearly collapsed, it exposed central banks cannot fix inflation. Pensions have always invested in GNS. Pension funds now investing in Bitcoin. They know fake dollars, stocks, and bonds are toast. Last week, the Bank of England told lawmakers that a number of pension funds were hours from collapse when it decided to intervene in the British bond market after a massive UK government bond sell-off. Of course, we talked about that in last week's episode. Uh, Kiyosaki also stated in his tweet that pension funds know that fake money, stocks, and bonds are toast. The famous author recently warned that the end of fake money is here urging investors to invest in, quote, real money, namely uh, gold, silver, and Bitcoin. The renowned author has been recommending buying Bitcoin alongside gold and silver quite for quite some time. Last month, he urged investors to get into crypto now before the biggest crash in world history strikes. He noted in June that he's waiting for the price of Bitcoin to test $1,100. Last week, he said that uh, as the Federal Reserve continues raising interest rates, there will be buying opportunities in gold, silver, and Bitcoin. He also predicted that the U.S. dollar will crash by January next year after the Fed pivots. Uh, and I certainly agree with him on uh, gold, silver, Bitcoin as a great uh, way to sort of preserve your wealth. Um, I don't know if it's going to drop to $1,100, but if it does, that's fine. Buy more. Okay, next article here, also from Bitcoin.com, also posted today. Uh, veteran trader Peter Brandt suggests all Bitcoin acquired in 2021 is a, quote, losing trade, reignites feud with laser eyes movement. Uh, veteran trader Peter Brandt recently reignited his feud with Bitcoiners who use laser eye crypto memes after he reminded them that every Bitcoin purchase in 2021 is at the moment a losing trade. Brandt added that, even he could not have predicted that the crypto would be trading under $20,000 in October 2022. In response to the veteran trader's tweet, Michael Saylor, who recently left his position as CEO of MicroStrategy, explained why he and other Bitcoiners are still committed to the laser eyes cause. He said, laser eyes signifies a long-term commitment to Bitcoin based on its ethical, technical, and economic superiority to alternate assets. All major financial asset classes have been losing trades over the past year. That is why we don't trade, we hodl. 
Saylor's remarks were echoed by another Twitter user named Stephen Lavera, who insisted that the key aim of those ascribing to the laser eyes movement is to increase our number of sats stacked and freedom acquired. In addition, the user also appeared to attack <clears throat> Brandt's use of technical indicators when seeking to understand an asset's future price movement. Predicting short-term price movements is a fool's errand. Growing and advancing the movement is the real goal, Levera tweeted. Alex Gladstein, a human rights <clears throat> defender and supporter of Laser Eyes, reminded Brandt that the idea was simply to put them on for the journey to 100K. Gladstein predicted that the Laser Eyes movement is not going to relent until one Bitcoin is equal to $100,000. When one <clears throat> Twitter user called Bazooka responded to Brandt's tweet by claiming to have bought Bitcoin when the crypto asset's U.S. dollar value was between seventeen and 18000 the veteran trader shot back, reminding the user that Bitcoin never traded under 24000 in 2021. However, when John Bollinger, a technical analyst and inventor of the Bollinger Band, suggested that Brandt's tweet was a bit mean, the veteran trader concurred but insisted his aim was to remind supporters of the laser eyes movement that the dangers of dogmatic thinking. During the 2021 crypto bull market, many Bitcoin maxis began adding red laser eyes to their social media profile pictures. Using the red laser eyes then signified the holder's bullishness. As the movement was gaining traction, Brandt became one of the first prominent traders to question the movement, which he compared to a cult. For instance, on March 31st, 2021, when Bitcoin was trading above 58,000, Brandt said, I will use my laser eyes when Bitcoin experiences a 50,000 correction and many of you swap your lasers for tears. Months after Brandt said this, Bitcoin went on to hit an all-time high of $68,789.63. However, since then, the top cryptocurrency has trended downwards and has primarily traded between 23,000 and 18,000 since September 1st, 2022. Um, so yeah, I mean, okay, he's got a point. Don't be dogmatic. And, uh, I'm certainly, you know, not a hundred percent, you know, uh, all in type of a person. Um, but of course, you know, um, I'm a bit older and so I have to really focus on, you know, retirement and, and, uh, balancing volatility, but I still think Bitcoin's an important, uh, wealth preservation tool and, um, uh, I don't have laser eyes in my profile, but uh, I do uh, think it's an important part of your portfolio. And, um, uh, you know, it's I don't view it as a trade. Um, I view it as a, as a buy and hold asset and, and something that, that will uh, will go to future generations. Um, and, you know, hopefully I'll never need to use it in uh, retirement because I'll have other uh, savings. But that's uh, at least the plan. Moving on to the last, uh, oh, second to last article, I guess, here. Uh, this one's from Coindesk. This was posted on uh, today. Bitcoin mining is, this is opinion piece, Bitcoin mining is cool again. We can thank Africa, Prudence, and growing hash rate for that. It has been a tough year for crypto mining industry, but the industry is primed for a rebound soon. This is by George Kaloudis. Uh, crypto mine, and by the way, I'll include links to all these articles in the uh, show notes if you want to read it for yourself. Um, crypto mining companies have struggled mightily in 2022, but over the last week or so, the tide may be turning. One shred of evidence came from Barclays, which initiated equity research 
uh, coverage on Core Scientific earlier last week, issuing an overweight rating. Now, an overweight rating isn't a buy this now. Oh my goodness, what a steal! This stock is liable to rip your face off rating. Instead, it's more of a hey, this thing will perform well compared with its peers. Basically, if mining stocks don't go all up, at least cores won't go down as much as the others. Not exactly a strong suggestion that mining is back, but it's objectively better than everything is going to zero and our best days are behind us. But beyond this one stock rating and otherwise positive stock performance the last two weeks, the tide against mining is turning. Mining is cool again. Banks equity research teams spend time writing about companies because A, the banks think the companies operate in an important industry, and B, the covered companies might need to raise capital someday, and they just might choose that bank to raise capital on their behalf if they get a nice write-up. Barclays initiating coverage on Core Scientific itself isn't too far out of bounds, but what was a bit surprising, at least to me, was the report mentioning that we remain positive on the long-term viability of Bitcoin and we view cores positively in light of our long-term bullish view on Bitcoin. Barclays isn't some nobody bank pandering for clout, so if the idea that Bitcoin has long-term viability penetrates more and more banks, the financiers at these banks will be excited about the opportunity of servicing the mining businesses that secure the Bitcoin network. But for now, let's put Wall Street aside and shift our focus to Africa. Chainalysis, a blockchain forensics company, published a report two weeks ago suggesting that crypto is thriving in sub-Saharan Africa. Of the regions Chainalysis studied, data showed that sub-Saharan Africa accounted for the least amount of transaction volume of any region. But a deeper look at the data shows the region is experiencing a grassroots crypto movement. Africans conduct the world's highest proportion of retail payments of less than $1,000, 80% and carry out far more peer-to-peer transactions proportionally, 6%, than all other regions. The report was well summarized by my colleague, Frederick Munawa. Coindesk managing editor Christy Harkin added important color on Coindesk TV by comparing El Salvador's crypto adoption, where Bitcoin is legal tender, with African adoption. She said, with El Salvador, we're looking at a situation where the use of Bitcoin was implemented in a top-down way to contrast that with the strong crypto usage and adoption rates in African countries is from the bottom up. In fact, adoption is going against what their governments would prefer them to do in many cases. I think that's an important point. And while the Salvadoran legal tender law was sparked by a circular Bitcoin economy that cropped up at Bitcoin Beach in El Zante, a coastal town in El Salvador, it's still a law that requires the adoption of Bitcoin. Back to mining. Last Tuesday, there was a video making the rounds on Twitter of a micro-hydro plant in rural Kenya implemented by a company called Gridless. This is great. A village in Kenya that doesn't have reliable electricity now has, has it in a way that isn't completely obtrusive to the surrounding ecology. The kicker? The hydro plant is also mining Bitcoin with the excess electricity to offset costs. The plant was intentionally overbuilt, and according to tweets from Luxor Technologies CEO Nick Hansen, the mined Bitcoin could effectively reduce power prices by up to 90%. This is really one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time, partially because electricity is awesome, but also because it gives credence to a popular Bitcoin trope. Bitcoin mining provides an ideal way to monetize otherwise stranded cheap renewable energy. As I wrote in April for Coindesk Research, Bitcoin mining could be economically impactful to communities near these stranded energy sources as they're able to monetize their proximity to cheap energy sources. And here it is. This is 
Just one example, but a rural community can now enjoy cheaper electricity because of Bitcoin mining. Surely there are more out there and there are more coming. Another reason why this is cool is because it is emblematic of how fragmented and therefore decentralized Bitcoin mining can be. Yes, there are sleek put together and publicly traded corporations mining Bitcoin in big warehouses, but there are also rural communities that can just as easily mine Bitcoin. Of course, even though I offered positive stories above, there's still the reality that the mining business has taken a hit this year. As I wrote in May, all I said there all said there is no particular reason to worry about the mining industry as a whole. Bitcoin mining will be fine, but the cast of characters might change since the capital markets are available up until the moment they aren't. Bitcoin will be better for it, but there might be some pain coming at the company level. And we saw that pain. We've already talked about stock performance, but there's more. Last week, Coindesk reported that Bitcoin mining company Marathon had invested $31.3 million in Compute North, which filed for bankruptcy last month. Coindesk also reported that publicly traded crypto mining company Argo Blockchain raised $27 million in equity capital due to liquidity pressures in tandem with selling 3,400 of its mining machines. On top of the corporate pain, Bitcoin mining machines have been offered for sale on third-party selling platforms like Kaboom Racks at steep discounts. Clearly, things are tough right now, and the consensus seems to be it'll get worse before it gets better. But I think mining is on the come up. On October 2nd, Luxor Technologies head of research, Colin Harper, wrote, Bitcoin's hash rate is absolutely popping off right now, rising some 8% over the week to an all new all-time high this morning. On October 7th, hash rate, the total computational power being used to mine Bitcoin, was around 260 exahash per second. That marks a 24% increase over the last three months. Due to the increase in hash rate, the Bitcoin network is set to make it harder to mine Bitcoin. This is called the mining difficulty adjustment. And again, this is something I've talked about in prior um, episodes. Um, performed automatically by Bitcoin's code roughly every two weeks. And because it's relatively aggressive upward adjustment, there is pessimism around the short-term prospects for mining. But here's why I'm not pessimistic. Things got tough for mining companies and the companies that have survived are the companies that were operating responsibly and prudently. Some companies were taking advantage of the cheap capital available to them because of low interest rates to run their business. And that's simply not possible anymore in a rising interest rate environment. The mining companies that have endured the shakeout are simply the best of the bunch. On top of that, creative ideas like rural micro hydro plants that mine Bitcoin in Kenya are cropping up and the injection of Creativity into the space gives me optimism. To cap it off, the network's hash rate is growing quickly in spite of the fact that Bitcoin's price isn't really exploding. Typically, a higher Bitcoin price would encourage more people to mine since the rewards are potentially greater. So instead of miners simply piling into the network in a quest for massive gains in Bitcoin, they are joining because it is a prudent business decision now that the network has proven staying power. Not to mention, October is a historically positive performing month for Bitcoin, so Bitcoin trading in a tight band between nineteen dollars and $20,000 might not last very long. So with all these things in, I'll say it again, mining is cool. <laughs> again. Uh, so not too much to add to that, except that uh, the rising hash rate is uh, a good sign of uh, strength in the network, and um, you really can't be confused with the price being down around uh, 19,000, which it's held reasonably well uh, <clears throat> here in this uh, bear market that we're in. 
And the last article here, this is from Crypto News. Uh, this is another piece, I guess it's an opinion piece, Frederick Vold, Bitcoin whales accumulating Bitcoin at current prices, what do they know? Uh, Bitcoin whales are again accumulating Bitcoin with more and more traders now asking themselves what these whales know that the rest of us don't. According to data from the crypto analytics platform Santiment, the so-called Bitcoin whales defined as wallet addresses holding between 100 Bitcoin and 10,000 Bitcoin have added a total of 46,173 Bitcoin to their holdings since September 27th. In a tweet published earlier this week, Santiment called the increase a sustained accumulation by whales and noted that this has been a rarity in 2022. The firm added that the increase in Bitcoin holdings has come as large holdings of the stablecoin Tether have dropped. The findings indicate that some of the largest players in the Bitcoin ecosystem are using stablecoins to add to their Bitcoin holdings. This also means that any price rallies seen in recent days have most likely been stablecoin driven without support from a significant level of fiat inflows. It is widely believed in the crypto community that large inflows of fiat currency into Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is necessary for a new bull market to establish itself in a sustainable way. Still, it shouldn't come as a surprise when whales are among the first to position themselves for potential future rallies in the Bitcoin price. As a result, the positioning seen in the past few days could be a sign that the wealthiest Bitcoin holders are now betting that the macroeconomic conditions will improve going forward and that this will ultimately help Bitcoin move higher. Meanwhile, the news that whales are now accumulating Bitcoin comes after Santiment in late September reported that the whale holdings of Bitcoin had dropped to the lowest level in 29 months, making up only 45.72% of the circulating Bitcoin supply. In a tweet at the time, the firm attributed the fallen whale investment interest to fears of inflation and a world recession. Uh, so again, another interesting piece of data. Um, and of course, you know, I think I've talked about this in past episodes that I do feel like Bitcoin's at a price level that's attractive to accumulation. Um, and, uh, you know, for dollar cost averaging, you kind of don't really care what the price is, but if you're you have some extra cash um, you're looking to buy um, you know um, it's certainly better down around these levels than you know at fifty or sixty thousand dollars for sure will it go down lower possibly um, and that's why but if you're just if you're accumulating and holding for the long haul you're you know typically not going to be too concerned if it if it goes down a little bit more um, and it certainly seems uh, that the uh, Risk reward is uh, it's quite good, um, and I think the same is probably true of uh, gold, silver um, as well. So, okay, so that wraps up the Bitcoin news for the week. And um, this week's topic, I'm just really going to talk a little bit about staying the course with investing because I know it's been very difficult, um, you know, for uh, uh, the average investor dealing with. Uh, the stock market um, losses, um, bond market losses, you know, the, the so-called risk-averse investors with the 60-40 portfolio are, have gotten clobbered um, this year as interest rates have gone up and uh, everything's sold off, even gold, silver, Bitcoin, stocks, bonds. Um, the only thing that's really performed well is the dollar and oil this year. 
So um, it just gets very tempting to, and I've certainly done this a couple times in my investing career, uh, where you just throw in the towel um, and sell at the bottom <laughs> and, and then uh, miss out on the upside. So, um, so really, just, these are just some tips, I guess, on staying the course with your investing um, that I, have worked well for me. And you do have to be active. Um, you, I don't think set it and forget it is, uh, is a good strategy necessarily. Uh, certainly not for everybody. Um, if you're younger, I guess you can afford to just uh, keep piling into index funds and just wait. You can um, keep, you know, stay 100% long. But if you're older and you get closer to retirement, you really want to focus more on preserving your wealth and not um, suffering huge drawdowns. Um, I think first and foremost, working off of portfolio strategy is really important. Um, you know, I try to look at that once a month and I talk about that um, on this podcast and then my blog. Um and it changes, you know, I think that in this last month, I, I got a lot more um, defensive uh, after selling a piece of property, just kind of holding a bit more in cash. Um, but I do still have, you know, long positions because, uh, you know, you, you kind of need to, you, you can't be out of the market completely um, at all times. You got to be in, but you, you also want to wait for, for uh, you know, confirmation that uh, things are improving and right now you know uh it seems like you know the markets just are, are going to continue to struggle um until something changes and that something is really the federal reserve um i think it's also really important not to react to headline news um especially with online trading accounts it's so easy to just like read something panic and then click the sell button so i think it's it's really really important to uh especially mainstream media you have to be you have to think like okay why is this news and what does this really mean and uh and really maybe even look at some other sources to 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 ascertain whether or not that really is something that you need to do something about um Probably more important than that, I think, is just financial education. So it's it's really learning a lot about the macro environment. It's really uh, essential, and, and it's an ongoing thing. And whether you subscribe to uh, newsletters or um, blogs, there's so much free information out there. In fact, I think I'm going to probably put a list together of all the financial uh, blogs that I follow that are free on on. Um, Substack. There, there's just some incredibly good information that's free, that's available, and you know, takes a few minutes to read some of these things. But it really helps, and it's 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 essential, I think, to understand the macro environment, to understand um, how everything works. Um, and then I think you know, if you do make portfolio moves, I think they need to be planned, um, they need to be deliberate, and um, probably if you're going to invest in something out of cash you probably want to start small and, and scale into it and you really need to understand what your goal is are you trading or are you just are you buying something that that you're going to hold on to for a long 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 time 
Uh, the other thing is diversification, which is, I think, really, really important. Um, you know, it's really hard to pick a winner. And so it's good to have a, a, a variety of different um, investments. Um, and uh, as long as they're, you know, whatever your long-term theme is, um, if you're worried about inflation and you're going to skew more towards inflation defense, and that's kind of where I tend to, to go with hard assets and things like that. But um, uh, diversification, I think, internationally, diversification um, uh, across asset classes is super important. Um, and then I, I kind of like the, the George Gammon rule, I'll call it, uh, you know, he's a podcaster that I listen to a lot, puts out some really good, um, content, uh, rebel capitalist shows actually the one I listen to the most, but, uh, he's got a pretty simple rule, which is just try to buy assets when they're cheap and sell them when they're expensive. And I think that I totally agree with that. Uh, you know, the only thing is you know you wouldn't that's like a trading mindset so if you're if you're just accumulating for wealth preservation uh like you would with gold or silver or bitcoin uh, you would probably just be accumulating those at a at a attractive price point and then just holding on to them um you do need to focus you know you're investing on wealth preservation um and again depending on your age and your risk reward profile um you know like for me right now you know i i look at gold silver bitcoin cash uh as is really wealth preservation and i mean based on my last portfolio update i'm about 67 percent in wealth preservation right now um that's going to change um in the future but uh and certainly i wouldn't be selling any of my gold or silver or bitcoin i would just be accumulating more but maybe putting some of that cash to work um, in the second category, which again, for me right now is about 33% of my portfolio, which is wealth growth, uh, which primarily stocks. And I think the stocks that I like um, in this environment are probably commodities um, over the next five to 10 years. So miners, oil and gas, um, not, not as excited about other types of equities, uh, maybe if interest rates really start to drop, you know, then all of a sudden tech, 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 tech uh, stocks catch fire again. But um, we've seen a long ways away from that. And I think we're, we're probably going to be in an elevated inflation environment for, for at least a little while longer. Because um, you have to remember, too, that even if the inflation rate stops growing, uh, it's still compounding. And um, everything uh, is going to get more expensive as long as um, as long as there's supply chain disruptions war going on and uh, um, you know the high oil and gas prices are going to drive through everything because that's a key input for just about everything including commodities so uh, you know the other things for wealth growth obviously real estate I've talked about many times private companies uh, investing in, in private companies and startups. Um, again, you have to be really patient and uh, you have to be able to, to hold uh, for a long period of time, but those are those are good for a portion um, of the portfolio. And sometimes the best thing to do is nothing. Um, you know, it may feel like, you know, there's an urgency and sometimes the best thing to do is just, you know, leave it 
for another week and uh, or another couple weeks or a month uh, or next quarter, you know, and, and uh, you know, I think you shouldn't feel like you need to always be trading and always moving um, things around. Um, and then finally, just observe and, and read broadly. Um, I think sometimes you find things are connected in a weird sort of way. Like you may, you may read an article that has nothing to do with finances, but then you can connect it back to your investing and how there might be, you know, a theme or a trend or something that you pick up on. So I think that's that's really important. So so anyway, those are my uh, thoughts on staying the course. I think it's, it's really important not to... Um, overreact it's important to be defensive in times like these um but it doesn't mean give up it doesn't mean throw in the towel it just means you you have to really do your homework and study what's going on whether you use an, an advisor or an investment manager or not um ultimately i think it's about personal responsibility for your money and making sure that you're um following through with that so Anyway, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. You can also follow my Substack at bitcoinfortress.substack.com and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Nick Riker and I only try to tweet things that are signal and avoid noise. So check it out and I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.